Good answer, Bob. You're hired. Yeah, you're hired. Would you like to elaborate at all, Bob? Don't you want to know what my favorite movie is? Yeah, we'll ask you your favorite movie, too. This could make or break this interview, though. Okay. It's a tie. It's a all tie. Right. Between Borat. Oh, my. And, and Dumb and Dumber. All right, Bob, you ready? Yep. All right, Ty, you ready? Yes, go. All right, let's have some fun. <laughs> timeout, Tyler, who are we taking a timeout with today? Well, thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, children and kids of America, we have Bob Whipple, the CEO of Leader Grow, also known as the Wizard of Trust. <laughs> and uh, Bob, thanks for joining us today, this afternoon. Always love having awesome guests and You've introduced us to a ton of leaders out there, Bob. But first, uh, we want to know what Bob Whipple eats for breakfast every day of his life. Oh, that's easy. I got this from my dad, who lived to 102. He <laughs> ate a bowl of Captain Crunch every day for the last 50 <laughs> years of his life. And he, is, he said, that's how I lived so long. So <laughs> I've been eating Captain Crunch. Yeah, all the nutrition <laughs> out there, it's Captain Crunch. That will keep you going long, long after. All right, Bob. Well, I know you have a bit of a green thumb. What is your favorite plant that you have ever uh, planted? And why did you, why, why is that such a different plant in your life? Well, I do a lot of uh, vegetable growing and, uh, and we've, we found a particular variety of sweet corn that we think is just incredible. In fact, that's the name of it, incredible. And so I, uh, I plant the uh, sweet corn uh, every year, a whole rows and rows of it, and then uh, a fight with the animals to try to try to get it before they do. <laughs> right now, I've got a skunk out in the out in the garden in a Oh trap. boy, Pepe Le Pew, <laughs> Pepe Le Pew is around. <laughs> well, I know you have a lot of tractors on that farm of yours out in Hilton. When you're on the tractor, what are you? What music? What song are you listening to when you're sitting on that on top of that John Deere? Oh, well, it's, I, I, I sing all kinds of songs, but probably my favorite is my back pages from Bob Dylan, you know, crimson flames tied through my ears, rolling high and mighty traps. Oh, yeah. Old I'm a Barry huge Roger Bob McGuinn. Dylan fan. One of the best yeah. lyricists of all time. <laughs> yeah, Beautiful. Bob, on the topic of music, what's the best concert you've ever been to? Four Tops. Wow. Four tops. How many people were in attendance? And you don't have to tell me how many beers you had, but just how many people were there? <laughs> Let's say more than 20. For <laughs> <laughs> both. I love it. <laughs> so we're all Rochester guys here. And uh, something Tyler and I staying on the food topic, and I'm, I'm, my stomach is growling right now. What's your favorite restaurant to take your wife out to? Uh, maybe your anniversary dinner. Oh, well, we have... Um... A, a favorite Indian restaurant that we like quite a bit, Raj Mahal. Uh, we've always enjoyed that quite a bit. We like Indian food and Mexican food and that kind of stuff. Oh, beautiful. I'm, I'm all about all the different countries and ethnic foods that we have. But Rochester, I'm from Elmira, small town. We had about six restaurants to now 600 restaurants of all different varieties. And well, we lived in we lived town. in Mexico for the first two years of our marriage. Oh, I went down there right after the wedding and, and worked for Kodak for a couple of years down there in Guadalajara. So we got used to the Mexican food. <laughs> How's your Spanish? <laughs> Muy bien. <te. laughs> I don't know. 
Bob, can you tell us what your favorite thing about Kodak was? My favorite thing about Kodak. Um, it was an honor to work there because of our mandate was to preserve memories. That's that's what we did. You know, we, we were making film, but we were really helping people preserve memories. And I thought that was a noble quest. Awesome. And what what about memories was was it sounded like it was in alignment with your passions, right? And and your values. But what what was your memories or why do you think memories are so important to be captured on film? Well, not on film anymore, but yeah. um, now digitally. <laughs> the um, you know the idea that uh, was very vivid that uh, you know when your house was if your house was on fire and you could only grab one thing to take it out, uh, what would you take out? Well, you wouldn't take out the fire; you'd take out your pictures. Yeah, <laughs> so true, so true. My mom keeps dropping these uh, binders off with all these old photos. She she's uh, great. She's really organized. They're all organized by what year, even months, some of them. Um, but photos are, are timeless. And uh, I, I really hope that uh, obviously I've heard about the, the people coming back to photos. I saw Polaroids. My mom bought my wife a Polaroid camera a few years ago. And I was like, holy cow, these things are coming back. So, but you had a journey over at Kodak and it's kind of led you to starting your own consultancy practice, um, Leader Grow. Yeah. Um, and uh, no kidding, Tyler was not joking. You have your own Wikipedia page. Tyler and I only dream of having our own Wikipedia page one day. <laughs> um, but what did you learn most from Kodak that helped you to be successful in your consulting practice? Uh, good question, Kevin. I worked with leaders my whole career, 30 years working with leaders, and I got a, got a hold of the best people that I could get my hands on, and we studied leadership in depth for reading all the books and going to all these seminars and courses and things, and, and really tried to figure out what makes great leaders great. And, uh, and, and, I, and near the end of my career, I kind of boiled it into a theory of, of the idea of uh, leaders who know how to build a culture of high trust and maintain it and repair it if it's damaged are it's so significantly advantaged that they just outpace uh, the, the regular run-of-the-mill leaders. So I've focused on that as being my, that's why I call me the trust ambassador, the, the, the or whatever you said, the trust wizard or something, uh, that trust is the key. And if you know how to do that, in fact, I got a little demonstration. You want to see the demonstration? I'm all ears. I'm all about getting back to trust. Okay. Uh, so this will take about three minutes, five minutes, maybe. Um, the demonstration is this, that you have to think of trust as a, like a bank account. It's what's the balance is what's important. And the balance, you, you have a balance there with every single person you know, and you make deposits or you make withdrawals. And it's the balance that you need to worry about and you need to think. So I have this little little device here. And I'm going to pull it out here. Oh, boy. Stand back. Bob's bringing out some technology here. <laughs> okay. So when leaders try to help build trust in their organization, they generally do it by the inter interactions with people. And they do it and you, you make, as a leader, you make small deposits in the trust account on a daily basis. You do things like you praise people when they do right. That's a small deposit. You, you're consistent. You walk your talk. You do what you say. You treat people the right way. Those are all small deposits that go on 
all the time. And that's the way it works. And trust begins to build up just like a bank account when you do that. And so for leaders, it's really difficult. Think about what if you wanted to make a really big deposit in the trust account? Not so easy. It would take some kind of a special occurrence or special situation. Let me think. Okay, if you have to land a plane in the Hudson River, that's probably a, a, a big deposit, but you don't do that every day. Most of the time we're making deposits little by little, but, but that account balance builds up. However, it's an interesting uh, study because when you have a high balance and then when something goes wrong, which inevitably nobody's perfect. And so you're going to make some mistakes. And when, if, if you haven't got the right culture, here's what happens when there's a trust withdrawal. Oh, Ooh, all the way down immediately. Uh, and that's probably re very relevant for a lot of leadership today during the pandemic, because that was yep. one of the first tests of that culture. Now notice the interesting thing about this, this is that, um, the trust went to zero instantly. All that time was lost. But look at this. In fact, it's not zero. It's negative. Because if we start making deposits again, watch what happens. I'll make deposit, 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 deposit. Nothing's happening. It takes a long time. It takes a long time before I get to the point where I'm actually building trust with my deposits. So what I teach leaders to do in a, in a very different way and unique way is to build a culture such that when there's an inevitable withdrawal, because there's going to be a withdrawal sometime, instead of it crashing, it looks like this. Hmm. Now, immediately when I make the next deposit, I'm building back that equity. That's the difference. So that's the kind of stuff that I do in my in my teaching. Well, thank you for that presentation because now I have a lot of questions, right? Now, now, I, now yes. I have a lot of questions for, for leadership is because Bob, like I said, during the pandemic, those, those, the, it was stress tests, right? A lot of businesses were stress tested, um, whether it was their culture, whether it was the leadership in place today or, or even frontline managers or workers, um, those relationships can you talk about how they can start rebuilding those pieces of trust with their peers, with their direct managers, as well as senior leadership? Because in my reading, in my research, I have found that the key to resilience is what you're discussing. It's trust. It's and everybody's trust. now looking for resilience and resilience in applicants or potential employees, whatever it might be. But really, it's easy to always point the finger instead of pointing the finger back at yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so, so how do what, they do that? So what I try to teach leaders is that the, um, I, have a, I have a little saying, um, the absence of fear is the incubator of trust. <laughs> trust will grow almost spontaneously if there's low fear in an organization. So what you need to do is teach leaders how to conduct themselves in a different way when the chips are down. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. Every leader, and I, I start, I have a lot of fun with these things. Every leader wears a button around all day long that says this, <laughs> I am right. And what it is, is it- You says know my that, old manager? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it says that if I'm a leader, everything I say and every decision I make and everything that I write is justified because it's the right thing to do according to my brain. 
So therefore, I'm kind of wearing this button around all day. I don't actually physically wear the button, but that's what that's the essence of it. And so if someone else, if Tyler is working for me and I say, okay, we're going to cut out overtime for a month here. We just can't afford to keep going the way we are. And, and, and Tyler says, Bob, how is that consistent with our value about treating people with respect and, and, and dignity? Is that consistent with our value? And so Tyler is basically saying that I'm not right. But I believe that I am right. So therefore, my body language to Tyler is going to be something like this. <laughs> Let me explain to you what you don't understand. Okay. And I'm going to come at him in a negative or punitive way in which he's going to say, Jesus, I shouldn't have brought that up. <laughs> yeah. And he's going to be punished. What I teach leaders to do and I have a lot of fun. If I have 20 leaders in a room, I pass these out. Everybody gets one of these to take home and everybody wears the button. Now, so if I'm a leader and Tyler says, you know, Bob, I don't necessarily agree with that right now. I don't think that's the smart thing to do. It's not consistent with the value that we said. Oh, now I change my body language. I have to see the invisible I am right button that Tyler's wearing and realize that in his mind, what he's saying is the right thing to advocate. So I need to change my body language from this to this. Wow, I wasn't seeing it that way. Don't tell me more. Let's talk about that because I, don't, I really didn't see it as a violation of our values, but you do. So let's talk about that. And my objective, and this is what I try to teach leaders, this is the fundamental thing that whenever someone says something against what you think is right, you're comportment you how you handle that conversation you handle it in such a way that when the conversation is over tyler goes away saying i'm glad i brought that up mm. if he does that if i've i'm i'm the, i'm managing the situation and it doesn't mean i always have to acquiesce it means i have to listen respect consider maybe get more input whatever, but I have to make sure that when the conversation is over, Tyler says in the back of his mind, I'm glad I brought that up. If I can do that, trust begins to grow. Mm -hmm. And not only just between Tyler and myself, but everybody else in the room too. Yeah. I, yeah. Tyler and I have talked about similar experiences where some ideas are taken by leaders and then presented like their own ideas. And that's a quick way to, to deteriorate trust. But you bet. what is what what do you think the lack of trust like we're talking about in these teams and sometimes a, 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 and you probably saw it at Kodak, the siloed nature of business, right, where everybody yeah. pretty much stays in their lane. And I'm not going to help that person because that's not in my job description. And I don't know what they do. And I don't want I don't care to know what they do. What is that at the end of the day costing the business overall? I think innovation, right? I think staying ahead of the curve. Is this something that you saw at Kodak where they oh, weren't goodness. really? Absolutely. And you can measure it. Um, my, my estimate is that at least twice the productivity if you can wow. increase in trust greatly. Let me wow. give you an example. I had a I had a, a phone call one day. I'm sitting here in my office. This is my office. I'm sitting here in my office. I got a phone call from the chairman of the board of a local company. And he said, Bob, 
can you come over and talk to me? I need your help in this company. These people hate each other. They're going to tear each other limb from limb. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a homicide over there. This is unbelievable. And I said, all right, I'll be right over. And so I, I, I started and I went and I interviewed the, the top, let's say, dozen executives in that company figured out what the problem was. It wasn't rocket science. They couldn't see it because they were too close to it. But I figured out what the problem was. And I came back and I said, here's the problem. Here's the solution. I started working with that team. I only did about three, three or four meetings with the team itself, teaching them about trust and about culture and about all that kind of stuff. And, um, and the first thing we did was a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And that team said that the number one weakness of their whole organization, not just the management team, the whole organ, the number one weakness was trust. Oh, about six, eight months later, the CEO called me in again and said, Bob, I want you to see how this place has changed since you were here. And so I went back in and it was completely different. It was unbelievable. And I said, just for the heck of it, let's do a SWOT analysis. And so we did a SWOT analysis and trust was the number one strength. Wow. wow. Six, eight, I think it was eight months later. Holy so it's powerful stuff. Wow, Bob, that is amazing. And I was going to ask you for one, if I was a CEO of a company, where would I start with trust? But I want to turn it to fear real quick. You mentioned fear a second ago, I think. That's how to that's how to to build trust is to get rid reduce the fear. And how would a company just start out on step one to reduce fear within their employees or the environment, in your opinion, in your experience, I should say? Number one is to realize that it starts at the top. If you go into an organization and the culture is not good, inevitably, I'd say 99% of the time, it's not the you know they'll say well the salespeople don't get along with the marketing people and well you know uh, the problem is staring you right in the face because it is the attitudes and the policies set up and, and endured by the senior most leader that cascades through the whole organization so you start at the top you work at the top and basically you you try to convince them that they don't see it yet. But the problem is originating with them. And we can change that if they'll agree to at least give my methods a try. And, you know, for a few months, just try, try, work with me a little bit and see what happens. And they come back and they're, oh, my God. There was one company down in the, in the Southern Tier when I went down there the first time and I met with the CEO and the HR, senior HR manager. And they were, when I went in the plant, it was, it was a low trust situation and they were all at each other's throats and everybody hated each other. And the parking lot was almost empty. I went in at 10 o'clock in the morning down in Horseheads and the parking lot was about quarter full. And, um, and so I worked with them for two days and just getting them a better strategy. They didn't have a good strategy at all. They didn't, they weren't, they weren't organized and they were, they had low trust. So they weren't going anywhere. They were going out of business basically. And they called me back about, about five months later around Christmas time. They said, Bob, come on down here. You, we got another problem. I said, what? I thought I just, I thought I was there a few months ago. What happened? I said, well, we got a problem, Bob. And I went down there and I rounded the bend into the parking lot and I could not find a parking space. The place was jammed full of cars. Their problem was they couldn't scale up fast enough. They were just, they were just going crazy with orders. 
Wow. And it's completely so, different. And it's so simple. And, and to kind of continue to, I guess, poke at that fear question, right? Um, because a lot of the, the leaders that we've interviewed and a lot of the leadership experts like yourself that we've, we've talked with, everybody keeps going back to that word ego, right? Um, and I think, f- what do you think the, the series of events and for self-reflection, right? If I want to look at myself in the mirror and really understand who I am as a person and what I want out of life and to do that ego work, what comes first to, to get over the fear or work on your ego to then overcome fear, to then build trust? What do you think the series is? Um, you have to, you have to be smart enough to realize that there's a better existence. If everybody's at each other's throats and productivity's in the toilet and, you know, customers are going away and their quality problems, all kinds of stuff going on. The, that's all easy to turn around in very short amount of time, if you can get the right culture. So what, what I work with CEOs is I say, you know, are you happy with the way things are? Is this good? Or could things better be? And if so, I can show you how. I mean, I've done it and I've worked in 130 different companies around here and the same, it's not always as dramatic as that, but it's, it's very easy to double productivity in most organizations. Wow. And just getting back to what we learned in kindergarten is what I always say. It's like so funny. It's like we were given the tools right out of the gate and then somehow over the years we all lost them and it was all about me. <laughs> and that's what you gotta you gotta be smart enough if you're the ceo if you're the senior leader you gotta be smart enough to get down off your pedestal and think about how people are viewing you and how you, what, what you're leaving them with and once you once you can convince them to at least give that a try they give it a try and then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off says, wow this is a whole different way of of existing and it's not only here's the deal it used to be stress, 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 grind, 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 problems all day, come just just up to here. And then all of a sudden, leadership is a blast. Yeah. Leadership is fun. And I can relax. And by the way, I don't have to worry about spinning everything correctly. If I once we have trust, if I make a mistake, they're gonna forgive me. But if I don't have trust, and I say something even just a little bit off, they're going to pounce like a snake right on me. Oh, yeah. Like that skunk out in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't go out there yet. I'll, come, I'll bring the crossbow over. Maybe we'll. <laughs> but one thing that you just said that really uh, is that communication, right? Because I think uh, businesses and leaders suffer from paralysis from overanalysis right now, right? There's so much information out there during times of stress, during times of the pandemic, and they're not sure what tomorrow is going to bring. We're always looking for help, but we're trying to, a lot of people chase trends and trends that were successful for other organizations, thinking that they're going to repeat that same success for their own organization. Um, and we, we talk about the Lean Six Sigma process. And I know that's something that was probably drilled into your head at Kodak. But would you be in agreement with me that Lean Six Sigma is not a business strategy that is going to take businesses to the next level and where we're headed um, as in the future of work? 
it's a tool and it's a, vi a viable tool. I, I believe in the quality principles. I, I studied with Deming himself uh, when he was alive and Joe Duran and, and those experts. I went to their seminars and, and I was a convert myself in, in the quality movement and the Lean Six Sigma as well. I'm a black belt, but it, it, um, it's a tool and, 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 and it's not the culture. It's 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 a methodology for optimizing processes and reducing waste and all that kind of stuff, but it's only a tool, and you have to have the underlying culture of respect and and dignity and everything like that to, to go along with it. Because if you don't, it's just a tool. Uh, I've been on the uh, boat that's been missed on that one before, Bob. It's like you're sitting sitting there they're cutting the last 10% of the company and it's uh, people are, are getting mad and getting angry and there's not much trust you say you know from the, coming from the wizard of the, of the trust ambassador over here yeah uh, Bob I was just really I was looking at your uh thanks for all that by the way we'll get all back to the trust as well in those companies I was all, I wanted to ask you like how uh, when you meet a CEO or a leader of a company and you realize it's them maybe that uh <laughs> that's kind of spiraling this thing down what, how, how do you bring that up to them well, that's a very good question, Tyler. Uh, I have been thrown out of a few offices uh, because, you know, the CEO will say, hey, you know, the salespeople are having and the manufacturing people are screwing up. They're putting out defects and this and that. And it was all somebody else. And the supervisors don't know how to supervise. They don't know how to lead. We need some. Can you come in and fix the supervisors? I said, Probably I can help the supervisors. But have you considered your role in what's going on around here? <laughs> oh, no, no, we don't know. At the senior level, we get along just fine. We're, we don't have a problem here. Uh, you know, you got to fix the next level down. And I said, well, probably I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I remember saying that to one that CEO. Film, Bob. I can't help you. Crew. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were like, Bob, here's the door. It's not me. It's you, Bob. <laughs> I don't mind. The idea is there are enough. I, I have plenty to do. There are enough people who are at least willing to listen and think about a better way of running an organization and that's the fun that when you can take someone and 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 teach that person how to change his or her leadership way of leading such that all of a sudden everything becomes uh, so much more effective and and life is a ball rather than a, than a drag um that's what I, that's, that's me doing what, you know, Kevin, you like to do good work in the world. That's me doing my best work. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a different way of impacting uh, uh, not only the, the manager life or, or the leader, right? We have these terms like leader and manager, and they, they get con, con, conflicting information about what's a leader and what's a manager. But at the end of the day, leaders, in my opinion, are the ones that are willing to um, challenge the status quo. Um, and those are not the same type of cultures that are typically celebrated in some of these um, mammoth companies, right? Um, do you find yourself asking others why they got into leadership and understanding or, or management, whatever terminology that they want to use? Is it more for a elevation of thyself or is, uh, have you seen the best leaders where it's like, this is my opportunity to raise others up with me? Um, do you notice that that 
I stark difference, I guess, between individuals and in different leadership positions? Yes, and it's there's there's a big difference between leadership and management. That's in my course. Uh, I have a course called um, Leadership for Managers, <laughs> and the, the idea is we contrast uh, the differences between managing and leading, and uh, and try to help leaders understand when they're operating in a in a leadership mode versus a management mode, and uh, and and how where. Where do they want to be? Where's their sweet spot? Where are they? Where are they? A are they a natural leader or are they a natural manager? That's a big difference there. So yeah, we go into all those kinds of things. So is leadership taught and learned, or is there born leaders? Because that's a debate that has been standing as long as time. Yeah, yeah. Somebody asked Ken Blanchard. You know Ken Blanchard? Yes. So Ken, somebody asked Ken Blanchard one time, said, "Are leaders made or born?" He said yes. <laughs> Both. <laughs> and that's the perfect answer. Yeah. And, and Bob, what's the difference between a leader and a manager? Well, uh, managers are trying to, they want everything to be perfect. They want to clone every, pro they want every process to work. They want the people to get paid on time. They want everybody to be there. They want no quality problems. They want, they want everything to be according to the book. And they want, so they're looking for stability and they're looking for um, everything to be the way it should be. That's what a manager, does. a leader comes in and has a completely different mindset. A leader comes in and looks around and says, you know, we got a lot of resources here. Are we even in the right business? Should we be doing something completely different? How close to the optimum of what these people are capable of are we getting and believe it or not my estimate after studying it for many many years is that most organizations get around 30 to 35 percent of the capability that's sitting there in front of them so when when managers cry out we need more resource we need more people we don't have enough resources i say to them bull you've got plenty of resources what you need to do is unleash them that's what the Vanericks were talking about. Unleash them yeah. and make them be, make them want to be, uh, as, maybe you'll get to 100% because people would burn out. But maybe you could get from 30% to 70% only by just changing the culture. And you don't need more people. You need better leaders. Mm -hmm. So powerful. And the stat that you said, 30 to 35%, I think that goes firmly in the alignment. Same with Gallup, but 30 Gallup, yeah. percent 33% of people are fully engaged and that number engaged. has not changed over 15 yep. years. Very stable. Yep. Yes. Um, impressed that that's, that's powerful that you've even seen that in, in your work. Um, talking about um, identifying leaders, right? So a lot of organizations right now have a lot of challenges with succession planning. Um, it's challenging to bring new people into your door, into the doors and this idea of promotions, obviously, is a way to keep um, individuals a part of the organization. Um, I have seen it in my life, and I, I don't, I'll speak for myself, but sometimes I am in awe by who we are promoting, whether it's a company or whether it's another company. What is your words of advice for leadership as they're trying to select the next generation of leaders for their organization? What should they be looking for and what traits or characteristics, because skills can be trained, but these things that you're talking about can be also, I guess, um, sharpened um, with, with, with your support. 
um, and your information, but what should leaders be looking for, like CEOs, if they're going to tap somebody on the shoulder and say, you're the next man up or woman up, what should they be looking in that particular individual for? Okay, so the answer is potential, but let me explain, let me tell you a little story that'll, that'll illustrate this, because uh, you tend to misjudge uh, the capability that people have. There was a woman that was working in a production department, uh, working for the department manager. The department manager was named John. I won't name the woman because I don't want to get in trouble. But, but she, she was a pain. She was always negative, a negative Nelly on everything that, that we, we were suggesting to do and trying to do and optimize processes and things. And she was down on everything. And she happened to be a natural leader. That is, people listened to her. So sitting in the break room, she did a lot of damage on a daily basis, saying, oh, those bastards, they don't know what the hell they're doing. And she, she, was, so, she was so extreme. She walked up to John one day pointed a finger at his nose and says, you got no right to be in business. <laughs> now, that is a person that she's, she was a quality operator and uh, on a machine. And um, but but I, I said, wait a minute now, is the problem her <laughs> or is it me? <laughs> and it may be me. Maybe let's let me I'm going to I adopted this woman. She never knew that, but I adopted her and spent enough time getting to know her background, her family, her what she what she liked and didn't like. And I found out the reason why she was acting out. The reason she was acting out is she was abused by her previous manager. Not John, but the previous manager. She was abused and just harassed and all this kind of stuff. So I began to find out what what is what does she what does she dream about what what would she love to be and do and have, and so she started sharing some things that she would like to be able to do this and that and so we found some roles for her that were a little bit higher in the organization, and said would you like to give this a try, we'd like to have you try to do we think you're capable of doing this, and she she said oh I, that would be fun yes i'd love to and she started to turn around and within six months she was a totally different person she was a natural leader so people listened to her okay and she had all the capabilities that were there but it was being hidden by this abuse that had happened and nobody was paying attention everybody was down on her so therefore she was down on everybody else well as soon as we started then then we said jeepers you've done that so well how would you like to be a group leader and, and run a little group and so she said i'd love that that would be wonderful and so she did that and she did it so beautifully that we actually promoted her to supervisor we made her a supervisor and she turned into one of the best supervisors I ever had. This same woman, just six months later, just finding out, just unleashing the potential that's in there. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, the time necessary to identify that. That's the fun part of leadership. There's potential there. Find out what, why it's being, why is this person acting out all the time and give the person more of what they really are looking for in life and watch them blossom. Wow, powerful. And that talks, I, I talk about the, the needs of that one-on-one -on -one relationship today. It's not a, it's not a group methodology anymore. It's, it's really that individual relationship between the leader and, and their subordinate or their employee or peer, whatever they want to call them. 
she uh, retired, I would have made her a department manager. Just, <laughs> just, an, just an incredible woman. That's a great story, though, as a reminder that uh, you can't judge a book by its cover. And, and, and we talked last week with Dr. Jones and talked about making those dangerous assumptions sometimes. If we assume something and somebody's miserable, it just must be them. Um, not understanding what's behind the curtain is, is a lot of other things are going on. Um, what is one of the most important things that you think a, a leader, um, if they were to start their day every morning, how do you start your day to get into this mindset of having fun and making a difference? What would you say, what do you, what do you tell yourself in the morning? And then what would you tell leaders that they too should be telling themselves as they're looking in the mirror, headed into work? Uh, the, the, the whole, are you doing what God put you here for? Hmm. Are you, are you, are you doing what you're, what you're, you're, you're the, your best. And so I wake up every morning and open my eyes and say, ah, this is terrific. I get to do what I do best and what I'm good at. And so that starts me off on a good, on a good thing. And I'm, that's how I do it. Until you kick life's butt every day, Bob. That's why you're a big mentor of mine because <laughs> no. I, I, it's, and that's why Tyler and I got attracted to each other. It's just finding people that are positive. I think like you were mentioning when you, when you're down and the cards are down, it's easy to be negative, right? It's easier to be negative, but that negativity kind of snowballs into something and then it becomes its own animal within the organization. And then you lose total control. Oh God. Tyler, what do you got brother? Yeah. Bob, at what age or where were you in about this whole trust ambassador thing, right? Where were you when you just sat there and you said to yourself, I'm going to be the trust ambassador. I know what makes organizations tick. What experience did like set you off so bad? <laughs> we're so good for you to understand the, the real meat and potatoes of why a business runs on trust. Like where were you? Why? How? Okay. When? Okay, so it was late in my career that I that I uh, came upon the realization. And what I did, I had I had uh, for the last ten years of my career, I was what they call a division manager. So I had a couple thousand people reporting to me. It was a big organization, and um, um, so all the department managers and myself were all very interested in this commodity of leadership and so we studied it a lot and we, we kept, kept notes about what works and what doesn't work and what, what techniques there are and different different styles and things like that and I remember sitting at my desk um, sort of late in my career maybe a few years before I left and I, I wrote on three by five cards a bunch of the different characteristics that we that we had come up with in, in various workshops and things like this. And then I started doing an affinity diagram where I started, if this is similar to that, and this is similar to that, I started making piles, okay? And I noticed that, that there was one pile that was getting very big. <laughs> and, and then what you do, and then when you do an affinity diagram is you say, well, these are all related things. What are they related to? How, what's the common denominator there? And the word trust just jumped out. And I said, okay, so that's the center point. That, because if you can get that right, then that's uh, all the rest of the things tend to fall into place and work. If you don't have that, you can work like crazy on all the other things and you're not going to get too far. So that became the revelation. And I said to myself, gee, I ought, I've, I've discovered this through years of, of, uh, of learning, why don't I go out and teach it to others? That is, that's powerful. 
And, and, and I wanted to continue on that um, to, to, to bring it to, to where we are at today, right? A lot of businesses right now are, are, are flipping a coin, it seems. Are, are we bringing back our workforce full-time? Are we going to be more flexible and allow um, some days in the office, some days from home? Um, I, I saw some leadership turn to micromanagement at the beginning of the pandemic, because if I can't see you, you're not working, right? And they turned because of the lack of trust to micromanagement. I see businesses being challenged with the decision on whether to bring people back or not, because um, some of the numbers, a lot of the numbers suggest that we are working nine hours of overtime now that is not paid in most positions if you're salaried and working from home. Um, what can businesses do? And I know you wrote a book about this in 2006 about developing trust through body language in the digital age. How do managers manage that work from home? Some people that are never stepping foot in the office, how do you encourage them to build that trust? Is it simply just asking those questions like you talked about earlier? Or what advice would you have for the audience to build that trust so you can be more flexible and then get a greater level of talent in your doors as an organization? Yeah, the secret sauce is to engage the people in making the decisions themselves and not mandate uh, this or that uh, as, as much as you can to and, and, to, and to communicate um, at least twice as much as you would in a normal situation. So communicating much more and allowing people the, the freedom to be able to, to chart their own course uh, as, as much as possible and keeping that as a as a guideline. Those are the things. Uh, Covey did an interview with me last year, Stephen M. R. Covey, um, that where he where he said that you know, uh, going into the pandemic, uh, if you had a really high level of trust in your organization, chances are the pandemic might even make it, it might amplify that and make it better. But if you had a low level of trust going in, it's going to get worse. It's going to amplify in a negative direction. So some really interesting um, insight there. But you know, the the idea is you got to treat people the right way, regardless of what's going on. Man, I just want to also ask you, Bob. Man, this is outstanding, Bob Whipple. Thank you for for having for being on us the show with us. I'm just over here. I got a whole sheet of notes about you. I'm like. <laughs> Where do I, I can't even read what I have here now, Bob. But um, so I've always wondered about these Lifetime Achievement Awards. And I saw you won one uh, through the Trust Across America. How in the heck does someone win a Lifetime Achievement Award? Where do you start? And how did you win that thing? Uh, that's a group that uh, there's um, a few hundred people around the world. And they, they uh, run a contest every year. Contest. They, they, run, they run a an event every year where they select the top 100 thought leaders in the world on trust. Okay. And, the world, and, Tyler, the world. The world. <laughs> and, and, and so they, they publish that, that list. And if you get on that list, then uh, that's your, your, for that year, you're one of the top 100 thought leaders. If you happen to get five times in a row, where you, basically you have to publish a lot and you have to be doing a lot of consulting and teaching and, and, and contributing. But if you get a five, five, five in a row, then, uh, then you get what they call the Lifetime Achievement Award. That's Ooh. how easy it is, Tyler. So uh, just 
take out some notes. Bob oversimplified that, I'm sure. He uh, summarized that very well. But good luck, Tyler. <laughs> My best. Come, coming in hot. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a lot, there's a lot of writing involved, a lot of publishing. You know, I publish all the time, oh, yeah. three, three times a week, four times a week now. Um, and, uh, and, and lots of books and stuff. And so that's how you get to be considered a thought leader. So seeing that you have a global presence as the wizard of trust, Bob, um, who is the most impressive leader that you either worked for or met? Um, that's an interesting, interesting man. Uh, he, he was my mentor for about 25 years and he, he taught me a whole lot of stuff, but he wasn't perfect. He had a flaw. Um, and uh, so, so I learned how to turn the, his flaw into my advantage and we got along fine. I'll tell you how that happened. But uh, uh, his, 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 he was outstanding leader who what, what had what they call coattails. He was uh, in, in a, you know, maybe a department manager level when I joined the company and he became my mentor just because we got along great. And, uh, and I said, he's got coattails. He, you know, if you, you want to follow this guy because he's going to go boop, 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 boop. And he did. He went all the way to number two in Kodak. Um, uh, uh, so um, the only, the, 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 the bad habit that he had was he, li he liked to micromanage his his manager the people that reported to him he liked to micromanage him tell him what to do and have you done this and like, okay so i knew that i knew he had that reputation going in and so i did two things right up front with the within the first let's say two months of when i was working for him i did two things one was i basically anticipated what he might be asking me to, to do next so that when he said have you tried this i say yep i did that yesterday and here's the result okay so i always had an answer for him ready he didn't he couldn't stump the band and the other thing was i over communicated i communicated so much that when he never he never had to wonder what i was up to because i was always telling him what what what, what was going on so he after about two months of this he just left me alone for 25 years <laughs> <laughs> and we got along great. I can't tell that guy anything he doesn't already know. What was the most influential book you've ever uh, read? I know you've written a few, but what was the one that 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 really I guess opened your eyes or connected a, a number of dots for you? Well, there's many. Uh, the, uh, the Speed of Trust is a is a big one. I I I, uh, I like the one that the Vanerics wrote, the the Triple Crown Leadership. I think is a very very uh, well constructed book and uh, very astute. So that's why Vanerichs and myself are good friends. That's a, they were a blast, a father and son duo there. If you, if you missed it, it was a few episodes ago. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you in, 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 a, in a dream scenario, right? You could have retired 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Why do you continue on this mission? Having fun. Bingo. Thank you. That's what I had. You hear that, everybody? It's all about having fun. It gets you off the rat race. And, and I think that's what, what people are waking up to. Why do you think it's such a challenge right now, Bob? We're calling it a labor shortage. It's, there's 7 million people on the sidelines waiting for work. Um, at first, it was the federal dollars that were keeping people away from business. Why are employees or potential, why are the civilians or citizens of the United States not coming back in droves? To the business. Okay, let me tell a story that, that illustrates 
that. I'm walking with the department. I was an assistant department manager early in my career, and I'm walking with the department manager down the hall in the manufacturing area. And uh, and we, I saw an inspector uh, that's supposed to be looking at and film inspecting, you know, and uh, he was had his head down. He was sleeping on the job, and I said, "You see that guy? That guy is a, a he's a nothing. He's he's got no ambition. We can't. You got to light a firecracker under him to even get him to have lunch. It's unbelievable. He has no initiative, and he's just just a slug. And uh, we ought to get rid of him. And and we're probably going to do that." And my manager's name was Nori Platt. He really taught me a lesson that day that I'll never forget. He squared up right in front of me, said, Bob, you're right. That guy is a slug here at Kodak. He's done nothing. <laughs> but I am the fire chief of the Irondequoit Fire Department. And that young man happens to be in that fire department and you should see what he's like when he goes through the door of that firehouse he's a ball of energy he volunteers for stuff he's got initiative he comes up with ideas he stays late and cleans things up he's just an amazing amazing young man so bob you tell me who's the problem is it him or is it you <laughs> we all have a lot of uh, reflection and self-reflection. I think uh, the pandemic, I uh, talked about it earlier, is uh, time. It gave time back in our days. It gave us an opportunity to step, step out of the woods and view the trees um, and, and really have an opportunity to learn more about ourselves yeah. than when we're on the roller coaster ride of life, I think. Yeah. And, and sometimes but if we want to bring people back, we need to find out what lights them up. Yeah. It's not, is, 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 I think you would agree with me then, the sign-on bonus is probably not an effective tool. It might help a little, but it's not really, it's not, it's not going to do the job. Exactly. Well, Bob, I know I've learned a ton from the wizard of trust today, more so than I've ever, <laughs> ever known about the subject of trust and, and really give our, our audience, I hope, um, some tidbits of advice to rebuild those building blocks um, so they don't fall the next time that we go through the next challenge. I mean, we're seeing in the news that maybe the pandemic's coming back. We're headed right exactly. back to the shutdown. Exactly. Um, but the companies, like you mentioned, that had already fostered that type of culture internally. And it's it's not the ping pong tables. It's not the kegerators that they have no. in the office parties. It's no. developing those relationships and trust. There is no easy button. Um, that's what I learned from you today. As we're closing out in our funny, funny show here at the end, we love to ask the stereotypical interview questions. Now, I know it's been a long time since Mr. Whipple has been interviewed, but Tyler, we have this new applicant, Bob Whipple. He calls himself the trust ambassador. What question do you have for Bob before he uh, decides to come and work for us here at Time Out for Leaders? Thank you very much, Kevin. Bob, um, thanks for uh, interviewing here at, at Time Out with Leaders. Bob, I was just wanting to know, what makes Bob Whipple happy? Um, helping people grow. Helping people grow. Well, good answer, Bob. You're hired. Yeah, you're hired. Would you like to elaborate at <laughs> all, Bob? Don't you want to know what my favorite movie is? Yeah, we'll ask you your favorite movie, too. This could make or break this interview, though. <laughs> okay. It's a tie. It's a all tie. Right. Between Borat. 
Oh my! <laughs> and and Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> or uh, Dumb and Dumber. So you like comedy? That's good. That's good. Well, something that I always want to ask um, people that are uh, so in alignment with their their passion, their vision, their values, um, and getting to live that out every day is fun, right? If Tyler and I had the ability um, to write you a check and you didn't have to work ever again, and you could not use this money on yourself at all, and the check was made out for about 20, $22.5 million, let's say. What are you doing with that money? I'm uh, donating it to, to help make our community stronger, uh, more equitable. So I'm trying to help maybe black businesses, maybe invest in some, um, some um, black businesses and help them survive. That's what I'm doing with the money. I love that. I love that. And that's the best way to bring back our community that we all went through when we're all here in terms now like PTSD and all this other stuff because we all went through that shared experience. But I love that, Bob. And uh, I'll have to talk to Tyler, but I think you're hired. <laughs> well, when, do I, when do I get my check? That's <laughs> yeah, that's uh, made out in Captain Crunch, uh, pieces of Captain Crunch, actually. So nothing monetary, just pieces. I'm going to show you something here before we... <laughs> He's got a box of Captain Crunch, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's the captain. And it's Bob Whipple himself. <laughs> this is a picture of my father. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Is he the original captain? Is that what the cartoon was all about? It actually was your dad? Is that what we were saying? <laughs> when he turned 100, they, the, the people that made Captain Crunch did a big certificate for him. And he got a letter from the White House. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, well, thanks for that story, too. Bob, I just want to say thank you. Um, thank you for all the important work that you're doing, because um, when you and I have had other conversations off camera and off microphones, um, you really were able to pull out something that I could never um, put my finger on. Um, and, and now that you, the cat's out of the bag, um, I just, anything that we can do to help support you in your mission of trust. Um, thank you for the, for, for accepting, uh, to be on the show with us and sharing your insights with our audience. And, um, I just wanted to say, thank you. Okay. You're welcome. I knew it would be a blast and it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bob, thank you so much. It's good to catch up with you and just to hear those experiences you have, man, they blow us away. We're just two dudes that are learning from guys like you and thank God that there are people on the earth like you. <laughs>